thanks for tuning in this week to Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church plant located in the Pasadena area. It is our mission to save the lost, to equip the saved, to serve both the lost and the saved, and finally to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting from the beginning of a book and working our way through all the way till the end. It is our prayer that you would grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ through his word. So uh, what we're going to do today, we'll be teaching out of uh, the book of James and, and just, you know, so that everyone knows it is a great privilege and I, and I do thank the pastor for uh, allowing me and, and asking me to, to be able to bring the word for you this morning. So uh, James <laughs> chapter one, let's go ahead and begin with a word of prayer. Uh, Father God, we come before you, we just want to thank you for your love and the opportunity as your children, Lord, to be able to gather together and and, and search your word, Lord. And so, Lord, as we're here, Lord, we just pray that you would speak to us, uh, each one of us individually, Lord, and uh, for there's something in your word for each one of us. And, Lord, we just love you and thank you for the opportunity. Lord, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, um, if you don't have a Bible, we have a, some Bibles up front, and if you need one, you'll need one today. We don't have slides. But uh, if not, just you know, look on with your neighbor, and I know some of you guys have the, the Bible app as well, so uh, that'll work too. So, uh, James chapter 2. We're not going to read all the verses up front. We're going to go through them uh, as, as we get to them. But I uh, just wanted to start off with a, with a little story beforehand. You know, there, was a, there was a young man. Uh, he went into a, a grocery store, and he asked the, the grocery, he said, Hey, uh, I need some really powerful detergent. I need some, some really good stuff because I need to wash my cat. And so the uh, the grocer said, "Okay, uh, here here's some really you know some really good stuff." He goes, "Just are you sure?" And the kid goes, "Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm positive. This is what I need to to be able to wash my cat." So the kid goes off, comes back a, a week later, and uh, he walks in the store, and the guy recognizes him. He says, "Hey, how did how'd your cat do?" He goes, "Oh, he died." <laughs> it's like, "Well, I told you not to use that detergent." And he goes, "No, no, the detergent was fine. It was the spin cycle on the washer that killed him." <laughs> So, so <laughs> a lot of times as believers, it's the spin cycle of trials that get us. And so it's a, you know, today's message is titled Overcoming Our Trials. And so what we have here is uh, James writing to a group of believers who had to flee from their homes during the persecution of the church. And we'll have five principles that we'll look at today. And uh, and that's where we get our victory from. And number one is a joyful attitude. Number two is an understanding mind. Three, a surrendered will. Four, a believing heart. And I'm going through it pretty fast, but we'll touch them again. And then number five, remaining humble. And uh, so what we're going to do is go again, get right into it. James verse two. My brethren, so James chapter one, verse two. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. And hold right there. It says, James here is talking to believers because he says, my brethren. And we know that when the world responds to trials, they uh, oftentimes they'll curse God or blame God for, for everything bad that happens. However, for us as believers, it should be different. <clears throat> no matter how hard uh, we, we try to protect ourselves, we all experience the, the trials of life. So uh, just when you know, we think that things are going well for us, you know, here comes a, a, another trial in our face. And over time, as particularly as believers, we should learn to expect them. So 
as we sit here and we look at ourselves today, there isn't a person in here who hasn't gone through a trial or who isn't going through one even now. And so we receive them in the forms of our friendships, our families, our schools, um, sickness, sickness, disease, and, and oftentimes death. Uh, so, and the truth is, many times death. Every one of us is going to die. So, um, and if we, you know, uh, if we compressed every bit of those experiences in our life, every one of us could say, you know, we would have our own little personal pity party. But as a believer, we shouldn't do that. Uh, because notice what James doesn't say here. He says, um, he doesn't say if. He says, when you fall into various trials. And so the trials are a part of our life. And so it's not if we're going to deal with them, but when we're going to deal with them. And the issue is how, do, as, how as believers, do we respond to these? <clears throat> James says that we should be different, that we should count it all joy. And the word count here means to think about, to com- contemplate, and then to make a deliberate and settled decision. Jesus said in Luke fourteen twenty eight. Which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it before he starts it? This word means to make a careful assessment. And trials are something that we must teach ourselves to respond to properly. And that's why Paul said in Philippians 4.11, I have learned that whatever state I am in, to be content. Joy is in the midst uh, of difficulty. Joy in the midst of difficulty is something that we learn and willfully apply. It's making an assessment in the midst of a difficult situation and saying, I choose to be joyful in light of all that Christ has done for me. The question is, is why does God allow trials in our lives to begin with? When God allows trials or tests, um, they are to determine uh, where we are spiritually. If we look back on, on Moses... Uh, Forty years in the wilderness, wandering, he said to the children of Israel in Deuteronomy 8.2, God led you these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you, to know what was in your heart. God tested the children of Israel to see what was in their heart, and he tested them to see, what, to see how their true colors would manifest. And that's what Peter tells us also in 1 Peter 1.6. Though now for a little while... You may have had to suffer in all kinds of trials. Verse 7, these have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proven genuine. Trials prove the genuineness of one's faith. However, not only are trials for the proving of our faith, but they're also for the improving of our faith. God uses trials to strengthen the genuineness of the faith we already have. Example, if you work out, if you were to go across the street and go to Fitness Connection, which you can see I've all done, you know, i got this one big, nice muscle. But, you know, you've heard the term resistance training, and when you use resistance training, you maintain the muscles that you have. And so um, it, it's just a, the, the truth about, you know, muscles. And people who are bedridden for a long time, they experience the, the uh, atrophy, and they need to get out of bed as quickly as possible in order to use their muscles and begin to, to work them so they don't lose. And it's, it's that old saying, if you, if you don't use it, you lose it. And so um, our physical bodies have to experience resistance. And in the very same manner, our spiritual uh, bodies have to as well. Now, 
That's just to maintain. But if you want to grow, there must be resistance. And the resistance is increased, uh, and so it challenges your muscles. You've got to challenge yourself. You've got to tear down your muscles. Uh, You've got to go through trouble and no pain, no gain type thing. So God uses trials to strengthen our faith, and he uses resistance and difficulty so that we depend on him more and more to strengthen our faith. So rather than fall back and apart, we fall forward and we lean on him. God knows what he's doing, and when he allows difficulties in our lives, it's, uh, it, it's already gone through his, before his table. There's no oops is not in God's vocabulary. And God never loses sight of what's going on in our lives. He's control of the whole universe, and yet at the same time focused on exactly what's going on in each one of our lives every day. So he never loses sight. In fact, Matthew 10.30 tells us that he knows the very hairs on our head. And for some of us, that's a little bit easier to count. So, (laughs) excuse me. But at the end of the day, God uses trials to strengthen us and mature us in order to use you and I. Another thing that we notice here is the word various. James says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. And Peter says the same thing in uh, 1 Peter 1.6, that, that they had been grieved by various trials. Um, and again, trials come in different shapes and forms. They vary for everyone. And they've, uh, you, two uh, believers at different levels of maturity may experience the same trial, and it will affect them differently. And the... Uh, our response, though, should always be the same. There are no small, I mean, there are small trials and there are large trials, but uh, they, they come out of nowhere uh, many times. And if our eyes are not on God, then we will fall and we'll be knocked off our feet. So James doesn't say to be happy when various trials come. No, he says to count it joy when various trials come. Because happiness comes from the root word happenstance or happenings. It doesn't, it, and it only has to do with favorable conditions. So I'm happy when everyone in my family is healthy. I'm happy when I'm able to pay my bills. I'm happy when I'm at church with my brothers and sisters. But as soon as trouble comes in, then, or we get a negative diagnosis, um, or I can't pay my bills, then... Uh, those, again, are, are happenings, and that's what uh, happiness is based on, uh, favorable conditions. However, genuine joy is, based, uh, is not based on one's circumstances, but rather the condition of our heart. And that's what we need to be focused on. Joy is a deep-down confidence that God is in control no matter, uh, uh, God's in control of my life no matter the circumstances around me. And if we make an assessment of all that God has done for us in the past and will do for us in the present trials, we can certainly count it all joy when we fall into various trials, no matter how devastating they are, knowing that God is in full control. It doesn't matter how deep the trial is, God's joy and peace are deeper. God's word promises it. Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for the good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. God is God, and he is conforming us into his image, and we should be joyful in the fact that we will spend eternity with him. 
So when it comes down to it, it's all about our perspective and the condition of our heart. And that's why Paul was able to say in 2 Corinthians 4.17, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Verse 18, While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Uh, moving on, verse uh, chapter 5, verse 1. For we know that our earthly house, I'm talking about our physical bodies, this tent is destroyed, which means we won't able to be die. But when we do, he adds this, we have a building from God, a house net not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So we count it all joy when we fall into various trials, knowing that it proves the validity of our faith, and that in turn reminds us that one day we're going to be in heaven with the Lord. We'll be in glory with him. Trials prove and improve our faith. They strengthen it. So knowing the benefits that the trials bring to our lives, James encourages us to maintain a joyful attitude. Number two, he tells us we need to have an understanding mind. In verse 3, Verse 3, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Experiencing victory, oh, stop right there, forgive me. Um, Experiencing victory in the midst of difficulties does not come through reading a book, and it doesn't come through uh, someone else's experience. Though hearing other people's experiences can improve our faith because we see things that they've gone through, and it's, it's, it's just God uses that to grow us. But the victory comes when, learning the, when we learn by experience that the testing of our faith produces patience, when our faith is tested. And think about this word testing. Anything of worth or value needs to be tested. <clears throat> the cell phones you have, the chairs you're sitting in. Um, and when we had donuts, I always tested those twice just to make sure they were good for you all because it's important. But everything needs to be tested. And... Uh, so before we even allow, even some kids will be graduating this year, um, they're going to be tested to make sure that they've met the, the goal of what's, what's needed. But um, the test, they, they serve so many uh, values for us. And so uh, it's important that everything is tested. So uh, James says, you must know that your faith will be tested. Secondly, we need to know what it produces. It says, knowing that the testing of our faith produces patience verse three the word produce means to accomplish something and what is that patience can also be translated endurance or perseverance trials are designed to teach us perseverance tenacity staying power this word patience is an active uh in the active form and it that confronts difficulties that continue and and continues in the faith with purpose and resolve in other words, we don't roll over and say, oh, well, I'm going through this. I'm just going to go ahead and roll over and die. No, we need to understand this. God is going to allow us through trials to go through trials in order to produce a greater staying power that he might be able to use us. And testing, and that happens only, they, only by testing you so that you produce uh, perseverance or uh, a spiritual tenacity. The Lord wants to make each and every one of us effective for his kingdom. And we need to be willing to bear the cross of trials if we ever want to be used by God. So having an understanding about testing or the testing of God is essential. 
And there's many examples in the Bible. If you'll turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, it's only one chapter or uh, one book uh, to the left and actually a couple chapters away. But uh, reading in verse 1, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, uh, Hebrews 12, 1, therefore, we also since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the, rate, the race that is set before us. And the question here is, who is the great cloud of witnesses? And what it is, it's the list of all the people that were mentioned in chapter 11 that we call the Hall of Faith. It's Noah in verse 7, Abraham in verse 17. Moses in verse 23, and the list goes on. It's, it's a list of faithful servants who trusted God in the midst of great adversity in their lives. But as we continue, um, the writer uh, in verse 36 says, Still others had a trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned and they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom many of the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts, mountains, in dens, and caves of the earth. And all of these, having obtained a good testimony through the faith, did not receive the promise. They didn't receive the promise because they were on the other side of the cross. But verse 40 says, God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. And the point is this, here you have this great list of people whom we honor as believers, and we should, because they deserve it, but we need to remind ourselves that what made them great was their uh, faithful perseverance. Okay, we can go back to James chapter 1. And what James is telling us here in verse 3 is that the testing of your faith will produce patience. So, we will overcome our trials through an attitude of joy, uh, an understanding mind, and then our third point, a surrendered will. James is telling us that a tested faith produces patience. Verse, the first part of verse 4 says, let patience have its perfect work. So, in other words, don't fight it. It's, uh, to resist trials is either to prolong them or to bring the chastening hand of God into our lives. And the perfect illustration is of a person who tried to run away from a trial was Jonah. Uh, Jonah's trial or test was to take the gospel to, to the nation, uh, to Syrian nation of, and its capital, Nineveh. And Jonah didn't want to do that. So he got on a boat, went the opposite way. God had him swallowed by a large fish. And then when he was in the belly of the fish, he cried out and he, to God. And then God had the fish spit him up on the coast of Nineveh. And so... You know, the more he resisted, the more difficult the trial became for him. And the, the issue here is learning our lessons quickly and not to have them prolonged. And so um, the, the word, uh, you, you know, in, in ultimately Jonah's life, you saw the perfect work. He was there. And the word perfect is also translated mature. So the goal of trials is not just endurance, but it's the, the goal of it is, is spiritual maturity. So it means, uh, and the means to obtaining that maturity is through enduring our trials. So James says, says, let the ongoing work of endurance have its maturing effect. So 
Why surrender our will to trials? That's a good question. The second part of verse 4. That we may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And you can put mature in for perfect. That we may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. James is not talking about perfection, but he's talking about growing up spiritually. So God allows trials to mature us. They cause us to look up and to grow up into Christ. Uh, Hebrews 6.1 says, let us go on to maturity. This word complete in the second part of verse 4 was used to describe an animal that was fit to be offered as a sacrifice. And that's exactly what the God wants of us. He wants us fit for sacrifice. He wants to mature us through the trial so that when we're willing to submit to him, we'll be able to submit to him under any circumstances and under any circumstances. Scenario where he wants to use us for his service. Then he continues to add, um, after the word complete, then he adds lacking nothing or zero or or no deficiency. When a Christian submits themselves to the work of God in the trials, there is no deficiency. God is able to develop them and mature them to a place of great usefulness. The third key to overcome our trials is having a surrendered will to God and allowing him to mature us. So don't fight it. Don't resist it. Surrender your will to God's plan. Number four. The point number four is having a believing heart. And that's going to be through verses uh, five through eight. Here we go. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And the context of these verses is trials. James is saying, if you want victory in the midst of trials, you need to put your trust in him and not in the world, nor in the world's wisdom. The first requirement for trust, especially in the midst of difficulties, is going to God and asking for his wisdom. If you're, going to, if you're going to go through a difficult trial, you're going to need more than man's understanding. You're going to need some wisdom from above. In the midst of difficulty, we often need practical, sound advice. And it's been said that uh, the knowledge is the ability to take things apart while wisdom is the ability to put them back together. Wisdom is knowledge properly applied, and it's the practical use of knowledge. For the believer in the midst of difficulty, it is crying out to God for his help and guidance. Uh, For the believer, the trials strengthen our prayer life, and like nothing else, David said in Psalm 34, 6, This poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him. Psalm 142.5, I cried out to you, O Lord. I said, you are my refuge and my portion. James tells us that in the midst of trials, the believer cries out to God and asks him for wisdom. However, Solomon reminds us in Proverbs 3.5, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. So think about all the, the advice that Job's friends gave him in the midst of adversity, which was the majority of the book of Job. And the majority of it was all wrong. It was not until God 
came on the scene and gave some wisdom from heaven that Job was strengthened and encouraged. The importance of seeking God and his wisdom in the midst of adversity. There's nothing wrong with getting counsel from other people. It's actually a biblical uh, principle. Proverbs 11.14 tells us, In the multitude of counselors there is safety. And the Lord wants us to use other people, may, may want to use other people in your life to give you some direction. But James's point is this. Instead of running to the counselor's office, the moment you have a problem, we need to cry out to God. Trials are designed to drive us to God, not to men. Specifically here, James is talking about the practical wisdom that comes from the Lord. James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. And the phrase, let him ask, is in the imperative tense that speaks of a divine command, a necessity. If a believer who is being tested is not driven to the Lord and does not develop a deeper prayer life, then the Lord is likely to keep the test active and even intensify it until he comes to the throne of grace for help. We need to ask Proverbs 2.3. If you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. God wants us to cry out to him for wisdom in the time of difficulty. And notice the promise that he makes here in, verse, in the first part of verse 5. Excuse me. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. And the word liberally means generous and gracious, uh, unabounding. Um, and God will pour out his wisdom uh, to his children especially in the midst of your trials, when you're crying out to him. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 7, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And he who finds seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what is there uh, among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will give him a serpent? For if you, then being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Without hesitation or reluctance, God answers the sincere prayers of his people. <clears throat> James says we need to come out and go to God and ask for wisdom. As we look at this, move on to verse, the first part of verse 6. It says, let him ask in faith with no doubting. And James is talking about the condition of the heart. It's the believing heart that receives God's wisdom and not the doubting or unbelieving heart. 1 Timothy 2.8 tells us that we are to pray without wrath or doubting. The word doubting here means to waver or dispute or to even debate. Many times it is, that's how God's people, or that's how people respond when trials hit. Uh, we debate with God as to why it's happening to us. And the whole trial becomes nothing but a fight. And the problem is, is when you fight against God, you're not going to win. So that takes us back to the, the second point, which is the ununderstanding mind. And so who are we to argue with God? Our trials are not up for debate. God allows trials in our lives because he loves us, and he doesn't give them to us to make us bitter, but to make us better for his service. 
Faith that does not doubt is a faith that recognizes that God is sovereign in all his ways, which includes our present trials. He adds in the second part of verse 6, For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. And this is a word picture of a boat that doesn't have a sail or a rudder, and it's just tossed about. And James is saying, if you fail to trust God in his sovereignty in the midst of, of the trial, it will most likely get worse. And that's what Paul was concerned about. And when he wrote in Ephesians 4.14, that we should no longer be children, immature, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men. The best thing we can do in the midst of a trial is to keep our eyes on the Lord no matter the outcome. Peter, in Matthew 14, when he had seen Jesus walking on the water, he asked if he could come out to Jesus. And that took faith, a faith that no one else on that boat boat had. But for a moment, he actually walked on the water. In uh, Matthew 4.13, But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O ye of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got in the boat, the wind ceased. Peter was doing fine until he took his eyes off the Lord. Hebrews 2.12 says, We need to keep looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Moving on to verse 7. In regards to the person who doubts God's sovereignty and plan, James says in verse 7, For let not that a man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. A person who doubts God or debates God or gets mad at God when God allows difficulty in their life, should not expect God's blessing. Verse 8 says, He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And the word double-minded here means actually a person of two souls. and It carries with the connotation of two allegiances. So, God wants us to have a heart that loves Him and obeys Him and trusts Him no matter what He allows in our lives. He wants us to be single-minded. Those who doubt God's plan in the midst of trials are like Job's wife. There's no Job here, right? Okay, just making sure. Okay. <laughs> like Job's wife. Um, but, uh, <clears throat> you know, she was, uh, when, she, uh, when she presented herself after Job had lost everything and they went through this huge calamity, they lost their property, their home, their ten children. And she said to him in Job 2.9, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. She was mad. She was mad at Job, and she was especially mad at God for allowing this to happen. She was a double-minded woman. Everything was fine in her life, and, and, and it was good until that adversity came. And once it came, in a form of a great calamity, she was ready to curse God. Job tells her in the next verse, um, in verse 10, 210, you speak as one of the foolish women who speaks. Shall we indeed accept from good from God and shall not accept adversity as well? In other words, where is your faith? <clears throat> God knew this was going to happen, and it was part of his sovereign plan. What we have uh, also, Job left us a, a great declaration of faith here. In, in Job one twenty one. he said, The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. 
So no matter the outcome, I will praise you because you are sovereign in my life. And you know what's best for my life. <clears throat> Jeremiah 17, uh, 7 said, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear the heat when heat comes. But its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will it cease from yielding fruit. <clears throat> We're down to our fifth point now, the final, fifth and final point. <clears throat> Uh, that's where we remain humble. And that's verses 9 through 12. So verse 9. <clears throat> Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation. And what he's referring to is a believer who doesn't have much. Which presents that this is the majority of the audience that James is writing to here. Um, he's writing to Jewish believers who had to flee their homes. As we talked about in the beginning. They were being persecuted and they had to flee from their homes. So all their, their homes, their possessions, everything was taken from them. And so... Uh, most of the believers were poor at this time. And so, despite their circumstances, James tells them to glory in their exaltation. And he's referring to their standing in Christ, their position in Christ. While a believer may be deprived in this life, as many of these Jewish people uh, were here, or many people today in poor countries, and even today, if you turn on the TV, you'll see in Syria, Christians are being killed and persecuted from that land every day. But because they're believers, <clears throat> they can rejoice in the fact that we have, a we have a divine inheritance in heaven waiting for us that is both eternal and secure. Speaking of this, Peter said in 1 Peter 1.4 that we as believers have an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, now for a little while, <clears throat> if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. James says, let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation. <clears throat> the, uh, in the first part, moving on to verse 10, the first part of verse 10, James uh, presents the other side of this principle. He says, but the rich is but the rich is in his humiliation. So just as the materially poor, materially poor rejoice in the spiritual riches, so the believer who is materially well, off, materially well off should rejoice when trials come his way because they teach him that material things do not give lasting satisfaction. And when a wealthy believer goes through difficulties, it causes them to realize that possessions can only do so much. Wealth can't bring someone back from the dead. It can't stop cancer. So when deep trials hit, the rich man, like the poor man, has to depend on God for grace and provision. Second part of verse 10. Because as a flower of the field, he will pass away. Verse 11. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat that it withers the grass, its flower falls, and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. James is saying that everything is going to pass away, including the rich man and his possessions. David said the same thing in Psalm 103.15, For as a man, his days are like grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind passes over it, it is gone, and its place, is, and its place remembers it no more. 
So the true believer, whether rich or poor, realizes their essential helplessness in material possessions to save them from trials. Both come to God with a humble spirit, trusting him who alone can give the things that abide forever. Whether rich or poor, God uses trials in our lives to keep us uh, in a place of humility so that God can truly bless us. And that's why Peter tells us in 1 Peter 5.5, 1 Peter 5.5, to be clothed with humility for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. So how do we overcome our trials? It's by having a joyous attitude, an understanding mind, a surrendered will, a believing heart, and by remaining humble. And the final verse that James uses to complete this, he gives us a beatitude. Verse 12. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Notice the first statement. It says, the Lord blessed. Literally means, oh, how happy. James says, oh, how happy is the man who endures trials. Why? Why? For when, has he, for when he has been approved, and the word approved, that means genuine, uh, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. So the person who endures the test of God, and in the end, in the end is found to be a true believer, has a great blessing waiting for him. And James calls it in the end here, the crown of life. The ultimate benefit of trials is that they prove our faith as well as improve our faith. One day we'll be with the Lord forever. And may we count it all joy when we fall into various trials knowing that God knows what he's doing. And when he is finished, as Job has said in verse 2310, we will come forth as gold. Let's pray.